in my six years in this church, I think I've done somewhere in the neighborhood of about 30 series of messages. Um, and what's interesting is that if I were to ask some of you, some of you have heard in your lifetime way over a hundred series of messages. And so for us to talk about a new series and say, hey, get excited about a new series, you're thinking, yeah, hey, for the hundredth time, this will be fun. And you may receive it as, well, this is just another, another thing that with a, with a cool spin on it, with a neat phrase, with some helpful image or whatever that we want to give to you in order to get you excited about what we have to say. And sometimes that's true. <laughs> but in this series, this Project 119 thing, what we're hoping more than anything is that the real work that goes on here in the series is not about what goes on here in this room. Yeah, you'll hear messages. Yeah, Pastor Nick and I have already thought about the next several weeks and what we're going to divide stuff into and how we're going to walk all this through. Um, but the important stuff is what happens away from here. Some of you, how many of you already have one of these? Okay, some of you do, some of you do not. For whatever reason, maybe you haven't signed up for, this is where you get into the grow section of the sign up. If you sign up for grow, you get one of these. And this is all those studies that we were talking about. That started today, this morning, September 11 was the first study. It comes from Genesis chapter 4. It's about temptation. And our hope is, is that you take this stuff home and engage with it, not just on a Sunday morning. I mean, yeah, I, I, I get excited about preaching a message to you. I want to share God's word with you. But if your only diet of God's word is what Pastor Nick or I say to you, then you're going to be a little skinny scrawny spiritually in what you're learning. Because for us to be... Monday morning learners or Monday morning trusters in God is our hope. We want you to go away and be prepared tomorrow morning to live into some of the things that we're sharing with you here. We want you to go home and on Tuesday afternoon, you're in God's presence in such a way that he's teaching you things and challenging you with things and giving you things to live into. We want you to go home in such a way that on Friday night, you're experiencing the Holy Spirit's presence in a powerful way. That's why we're doing this whole project. It's about you and I becoming self-feeders with God's word so that it's not so dependent on what series, what cool thing that Nick and I have come up with for you to learn about. It's much more valuable for the amazing thing that God has prepared for you to learn about in his word. That's why we're doing this. That's our focus. So if you haven't signed up, if you haven't engaged in this on some level, listen, learn, grow, and be transformed, right around the corner on the left as you leave this room on the way out, please check in with Karen and the folks out there, Jim. They'll share with you some of what God has prepared for you here. This morning, like I said, today you're talk, you think about temptation. How, much of a, how many of us want to be equipped when temptation comes? You can learn 
from God's word how to deal with that a little bit. There's plenty of other things over the course of this 119 days. So that's why we're doing this. And we're doing this morning some of that work in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. So if you would turn in your Bibles there, we're going to begin reading there and we'll start with about the first three verses. Context really quick. What are these words? Where are they from? Who's saying them? This is Moses. Moses is speaking to the people of Israel. They're getting ready for a pretty pivotal activity, and that is to go into the promise, all right? They're getting ready to go into the promise. And what is the promise? It's the promised land. And they have this beautiful land, this land of, what do we, what is it called? Land of milk and honey. Huge land of blessing. And they are getting ready for that. It takes them a little while through Deuteronomy. And then by the end of the book, they're moving into the promised land. And before they do that, God wants to remind them of some stuff. He specifically wants to remind them of his law. If you see here, right before this passage from Deuteronomy 6, what do we have? We have the Ten Commandments, right? It's the second reading of the Ten Commandments. The other reading is in Exodus 20. This is the second one. Because God wants his people to remind, be reminded as they enter into the promised land of what his law is. And there's a reason for that. Let's read. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel... And be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So we hear right from the beginning that if the people of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land, what's really important for God that God wants them to remember as they go into the promised land. He wants them to remember his law. In fact, it's so important, and it comes up so regularly, specifically in this portion of the Old Testament. If we read the book of Leviticus, we read all about God's law. We read some of Exodus, we read all about God's law. We see Deuteronomy, it's all about God's law. That we would have to say that God's love language even is obedience to his words for his people. And I know what some of you are thinking, you're thinking, but wait, God's love language in Jesus is grace, right? Grace that is outside of the obedience to the law. And yes, it is true that law doesn't have the same power in Jesus, but Jesus himself even says in the book of John, chapter 14, it says, He who will love my father will obey what he commands, and I too will love him and make my dwelling within him. Even in Christ we hear how important obedience to the law is to God. It it engenders relationship. 
In fact, it connects us with God because God wants us to believe what he says, right? He wants us, we hear the word trust, we hear the word faith over and over in the text. God wants us to believe what he says is the best way for us to go and the way for us to do what he says is to be obedient to the law. We're hearing in the law God's heart. And in pursuing God's heart through the law, there's promises that come. And they're pretty big ones. We're promised a legacy. God's people are promised a legacy that their children after them fear the Lord. We also hear joy, that you may enjoy long life, and then also long life itself. So you're promised a legacy, you're promised joy, and you're promised long life. We could maybe rephrase that as eternal life, right? How many of you, if I were able to make the promise to you that you will leave a legacy of a good family... Joy is what you will experience, and you will have long life. How many of you wouldn't mind that as a a gift for me to give to you, right? I mean, that sounds like a pretty good life. In fact, majority of our culture is about pursuing that. Pursuing joy, we want the experience, we want, we want the good stuff. We think about the idolatry of children, helicopter parents, and all that other sort of stuff in our culture. We certainly want to leave that legacy. And of course, long life. I mean, you look at how people are anti-aging. It seems like everything is anti-aging. I want like anti-aging pizza and pork barbecue ribs. If you thought that, that can happen, I would love that, right? We, we, we pursue that sort of stuff. And here God promises exactly what culture is itself promising and can't give it. God promises, but it comes with an obedience. God's heart and love language is with his people around his law. So I think his law is pretty important for us. And how do we learn about his law? By digging in. 119 days for us to dig into God's law and hear God's heart, his language for us, obedience to who he is. Let's continue reading. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Those two verses are really important verses in the trajectory of the history of God's people. In fact, they're verses that have a special name in the Jewish text. If you add one more phrase to the, 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 um, the, those two verses and love your neighbor as yourself, then you're going to get what is called the Shema. The Shema is a daily recitation of the truth of God's word in the life of Orthodox Jews. When they wake in the morning, they speak the Shema. They speak the Shema even throughout the day. There are shawls. One of them I have in my office. I have a prayer shawl. It's a tablecloth. You ever been in my office? You see it. It's on my back table. You look at it. It doesn't look like much, but around the edge in Hebrew is the Shema Israel. In Hebrew, 
It's something that covers people's lives. They speak into it. They live into the habit of it for the purpose of speaking God's love language. It's what God told the Jews to do. And he also speaks it to us. The Shema is still at work in our lives. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Why do we know that? Because Jesus himself said it. What is the greatest commandment? That you love the Lord your God. And for us to hear that that's God's love language, it's a love language of intimacy. And he's calling us more deeply into intimacy. How do we know that? Because he uses the words love. Love the Lord your God. Love is one of those intimacy words. It's about closeness. It means God is present with us. In us even through the power of the Holy Spirit. And yes, God is here at church. God is present here. As we worship him and as we give him praise and experience these great songs like that first song this morning. Alleluia, glory be to our great God. I sing that song and I am, oh, it's like I feel the love and the presence of God. Awesome. But God is also with you in your car as you get home. In your house this afternoon, in your workplace tomorrow, in your neighborhoods, in all the stuff of life. And yes, it is, it is true, we, we acknowledge his presence, but God is also present, not just when things are good, right? I mean, we think, oh, I feel God's presence. Why? When I'm in prayer, when I'm reading God's word, when I'm listening to KSGN or another contemporary Christian music station, I hear a song and it just touches me and impacts me and that's beautiful. But you know what? God promised to be with us. And he's also present in your foolishness. He's present with you when you're messing up, when you've spoken harsh words to your children, or to your parents, to your spouse. When you've logged on to that website, you know is not a blessing to God. When you're involved in that activity, that addiction, that foolishness, that is something we call sin. All of those places are also places where God is with us. Why? Because he longs for that sort of relationship with us. A relationship of love that is even into our dark spaces. And for us to be reminded of that, that God knows our hearts and our lives in every way, and he wants us to more deeply experience that intimacy. That's why he's in us with, in the brokenness, so that he can redeem it, and we can experience the joy of living into transformation. And then we more deeply know his love. For us to know God is present in all of our lives. Why? Because he promised us that he would be. He's in all of your experiences. He's in all of your moments. In all your seconds. But you have to see him. Let me give you an example. Thursday is my sermon writing day. For a block of about three to four hours on Thursday morning... It's going to be hard for you to get time with me because 
I do some study earlier on in the week, but in that three to four hours, I write out my outline, I get my stuff done, I sort of move through the passage and think about how God is sort of uh, calling me to, to share and communicate it with you. And so that time is pretty sacrosanct for me. This Thursday was a train wreck. Now, I, I did have a scheduled meeting. Beth and I meet every Thursday morning at 9 o'clock for the purpose of talking about what this time looks like in light of the message that I'm writing. So that time happened. But right as Beth and I were meeting, my wife called. And whenever my wife calls, I answer, which I think is a good rule for all husbands and wives, right? Your, your spouse calls, answer the doggone phone. So I answered the phone, excuse myself with my conversation with Beth, answered the phone. And that beautiful thing, which every parent loves to hear, happened. He forgot his stuff. Oh, my boy forgot his stuff. He's at school, he forgot his stuff. He can't go get his stuff. Kristen's at work, she can't leave to get his stuff. Who's got to get his stuff? Me, three hours sacrosanct time, I don't think so. I got to go take care of it. Okay, fine. You know, all right, we'll take care of it. But the problem is I had just promised Rachel not 20 minutes before. I would get her my sermon early because I knew she was doing a whole ton of work. And she is one that you should always say thank you to every time you see her. Even if you don't think she did anything, say thank you to her, because she did something you didn't see. All that tent event stuff, she did a whole bunch of work on. And I knew that was coming up, so I wanted to give my stuff to her early so she could get it done and not have to worry about it so much. I just promised it to her. And I said, sorry, um, I'm going to be late now. So then I got to go take care of my son's stuff. So I go whipping home. And I go through my house. I can't find the stuff. There's no stuff at home. Actually, it was a binder. I can't find it. It's nowhere. Check here, check there. And you know how when you're starting to think, okay, now I got to climb into the mind of a 12-year-old. You stop looking in normal spots and you start looking in all the weird spots. Like, oh, he had to put his shoe on. He stuck it underneath the dog food or something like that, you know, because he's a 12-year-old and I'm not. And so I'm trying to, I can't find it. So I go over to the school and I, I got to figure this out. He doesn't have his stuff. It's got all his homework. So I I talked to Sam is my guy over at his school and Sam helped big time. Took a couple minutes, a couple phone calls. Sam helped. We found the binder. He left it in a room before school when he was sitting and talking with some friends and a teacher and he left his binder right there. Took a little while, but we got it figured out. Okay, fine. Get it to him in his classroom. I had it back here to church. I pull into church and I'm pulling into my parking space. It's not labeled, but I have a parking space. You're not allowed to park there. Don't ever do that. All right. So I'm pulling into my parking space. And as I'm pulling in, someone is pulling out of the parking space beside because she's smart. She knows she don't park in my parking space, but she pulls back in. It's Pam. Pam had wanted to talk to me. And I said to her, Pam, I can't, I can't talk to you right now. I got to finish this message. I promised Rachel, but we can talk next week. Let's schedule a time. We scheduled the time. There was there's something on her heart about something that she's learning right now that she wants to talk about and get pastoral guidance on. So then I get back in church. It takes about maybe two and a half, three hours for all that to get worked out. I get back here. I take care of my message. I hand it to Rachel. Now, as I'm 
thinking about this morning's message, I could have seen all of that and done what? Just gotten ticked, right? I mean, this is my time. This is my sermon time. I need this time. Or I could see that Beth gave me grace in me interrupting our meeting to talk to my wife. Or I can hear the heart of my wife who loves her son and wants to see him succeed at school. And I can hear the heart of Sam who cares about kids and cares about families and wants them to experience a good day of learning and growing at school. Or I can hear the heart of Rachel who forgave me for saying that I was going to do something but couldn't do it. Or I can hear the heart of Pam who longs to learn more about who God is, who Jesus is, and wants some guidance in doing that. If I wouldn't have listened with ears to hear on Thursday morning, I would have just been upset. But instead, I could experience the love of the Lord my God, who was intimate with me in all occasions, as he spoke to me, showed himself to me, worked through others to show me just how much he loved me for three hours on a Thursday morning. And guess what? Every day is like that. Every moment of every day is like that. That's God's heart for us. There is never a moment when you are living into the challenges of the workplace, the difficulties of a marriage, the joys of parenting, all the things that you go through. There is never a moment when you are outside of the presence of the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. And he is actively at work. He is moving. He is transforming. He is changing. He is speaking. But we need to have ears to hear. We need to have eyes to see. We need to have a heart that is sensitive to it. So I guess, in some ways, I should be thanking Troy for messing up my Thursday morning because he showed me Jesus. (laughs) But if we have that heart and that mind, we can see our lives differently. God is calling us to that sort of, of daily rhythm. Let's continue to read. Verse 6. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We're hearing here how intimate God wants to be with his people. In essence, he's almost saying, he's, he's, I mean, mark yourselves with these things. And if you've ever seen, you've seen Hasidic Jews, they will do exactly that. They have a box that they have on their forehead that contains words of God's law. They have uh, ribbons tied around their wrists that hold God's law because they long to be that close to God's law because it is God's intimacy with them. We actually live into that a little bit in the same way. We just live into it a different way. And it's not about necessarily God's love for us, but another's love for us. I have this on my hand. It's an important symbol, right? In fact, if I were to take this off and not wear it, Mrs. Elgersma and I might have words, as we well should. Because this is a symbol of how important my relationship is with her and her relationship is with me. 
Now, how are we doing so with God's law that is much more intimate? And what it, what it really God is calling us to is to carry it on our hearts. To carry it on on everything that we do. It's one of the reasons why even today, scripture memorization is not just for Sunday school anymore, folks. It's for putting it in here and in here. Why? Because we long to hear God's love languages in love language in our everyday moments. That's a challenge for us to say, God wants to speak to me words of love through his word. How do I bring it closer? That's why we're doing all this. We want it to be that rhythm. We want it to be, we want to equip you with the daily rhythms. In fact, we're giving you a couple things. This is a great gift to you that some people worked really hard to give you because it is a daily rhythm. Every day between now and the second week of January, you have a rhythm of engaging with God's word. We also want to give you a second gift, and that is one of these. This is one of those rhythm things that I think that God has equipped us with to enjoy and experience God's daily presence. It's a prayer that Nick and I spent some time crafting for you this week. We put it in bookmark form, and you can take this and use it however you'd like. It simply says this. Today is your day, O God. You are bigger than my biggest problem, stronger than my greatest strength, Wiser than my wisest thought, and you love me more than I dare imagine. Today, I trust in you. For us to get into that sort of rhythm every day, in many senses, our Shema. Yes, speak to Shema Israel. First, you know, the, uh, those two verses there, verse 3 and verse 4, verse 4 and verse 5. Yes, but maybe there's others. Put this on your bathroom mirror. Maybe you can put it in your Bible or it can be your Project 119 bookmark. Maybe you can hang it from your, um, your uh, rear view mirror and then get in trouble with the cops the next time you get pulled over. That's a good thing for you to get in trouble for. For us to have those daily rhythms so that we get into that rhythm of seeing God's presence in us where we're loving God with our every moment. We're seeing his presence in our every second. We are aware of his work in our life, life hour to hour. And we're never outside of it is good work for us to do. Let's continue reading, and we're going to read at verse 10 to the end of our section. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When is it hardest to trust in God? And I want to submit to you that it's hardest to trust in God when things are going well. When things are going great, do we need God? In fact, I was saying with Jim this morning, I think, I think that 
You know, one of the reasons why we see the church growing so much in Africa and other parts of the world that we would call third world countries is because there are places in those, in those countries that are desperate, desperate for food, desperate for shelter, desperate for clean water, desperate for health care, and they need to live every day in faith. And because not every need is met... God has more room to work in their hearts and their lives. But we have a problem in the Western church. How many of you in your cupboards and refrigerators have more than five meals you could put together? How many of you have more than 10? How many of you are willing to admit that you are a hoarder and have 25? Some of you, yeah, okay, there's a couple of you. You have all of that. How many of you, if I asked you, if it was an absolute emergency, could some way or other either be a credit card to buy an airplane ticket or a car that you could fill with fuel, if you had to get from here to New York City in four days, believe you could do it? Many of you easily could. Because we have so much. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. How many of us actually need to pray that prayer and have to, or to have our daily bread? We've got five loaves of bread in the freezer. Do we need God to give it to us? Yes, of course, it's that heart shift of realizing God is the great provider and God has met every need. But in terms of the practicality of it, how often do we even live in places of faith? Because our lives are so very good. We know material possession and blessing that generations have never known. And God knows that when you're in that place, it is difficult for you to trust in him. It's what he says to his people. When you get into the land flowing with milk and honey, when you get into that land and the places, excuse me, where the bunches of grapes had to be carried by two men on a stick because they were so big, when there is so much there, so many blessings, when you get there, don't forget. Bind my word to your forehead. Wrap it around your arm. Speak it to your children. Recite it every day. Because if you don't, in places of blessing, it is easy to forget me. And what we see in the trajectory of the history of Israel is that's exactly what happened, right? The blessing came and they forgot God. Folks, we know blessing. It's one of the reasons why being a pastor in a Western church is often difficult. It's difficult for many reasons. But for us together to talk about faith, real faith, trust in God every moment of every day. Can we trust even in a world where so often we don't have to? We can t make it on our own. We can get to New York City. We can feed ourselves. If we need something, we can make a phone call. If we have a question, we can check Wikipedia or otherwise. We can take care of ourselves in that world, talking about trusting in God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, 
can be a difficult task, and it's even more difficult for us to live into it. That's why this. That's why this. That's what this is about. Tomorrow morning you're going to get up. And is tomorrow morning a day of trust? Is it a morning where you start by saying, today is your day, O God? Two things then that I want to give to you, and that is, um, I want to give you this. This is the first thing. And that can be your prayer every morning. Your Shema, perhaps. Maybe it's something that even we recite in church a couple times, Beth, over the course of this series. We make that rhythm regular. The second thing is, I was thinking about things that we do regularly. Um, we, how many of you regularly eat food? All of you? Okay, well, that's encouraging. Um, you're going to eat food in probably yeah, 10 minutes, all right? There's food out there for you, and you'll go to lunch, or you do whatever you're going to do. Every time you eat, what do you do when you get up? What are you doing when you get up to the table, right? You think about that moment when, okay, your conversation or whatever it is is over, your plate is clean, your, you know, maybe a couple of things left over, you've gotten your left, or maybe you're at a restaurant, the check has come, it's taken care of. What do you do when you stand up? What if you, in that moment, live into gratitude? Through this prayer, you start your day in trust, and you end every meal in gratitude and stand up and say, Thank you, God. You are so very good. You stand up. You're at Panera. You stand up. You've just had that soup and salad combo. Thank you, God. You are so very good. You've been at home, and it's a Weight Watchers time. Okay, enjoy it. Thank you, God. You are so very good. You're down at McDonald's. I don't know that you can thank God for that, but okay. All right. Stand up. Thank you, God. You are so very good. That rhythm. Find your rhythm. Begin a day with prayer, a blessing. End a meal with gratitude. Find those rhythms that allow you to, in the moment, like three hours on Thursday, see God's presence in your life, his activity, his blessing, his power, his grace, and his love. And as you do that, as you see those rhythms, rhythms live into them and experience them through the presence of Christ in you. Guess what? You're loving the Lord your God more with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Let's close in prayer. Father, you are so very good and that is awesome. But it's also a challenge, and we are reminded of that in your text today, that when we experience your blessing, that oftentimes what comes is complacency and amnesia. We get comfortable in our new setting of blessing, and we forget where it all came from. Father, quicken our minds, move our hearts, challenge us, take away things that hinder us from places of faith and trust, Lord, that we might remember you. Lord, through the work of Jesus and the power of your spirit in our lives, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that senses 
you at work in every moment of our every day. Father, this is work that you and you alone can do, and we pray that you do it in Jesus' name. Amen.